Welcome to Refocus. I'm your host, Trevor Wilson. This is a podcast of Sunday school lessons that I've taught, some sermons that I have preached. Uh, I have various guests at different times. Uh, Basically, the, the whole idea is to just kind of refocus back on the Word of God, going back to those Bible stories, studying the scriptures. Let's just, just kind of get out of ourselves, out of our own thinking, and go back to the Word of God and see what He has to say. I love those old Sunday school lessons when we were kids. We seem to have gotten away from some of those, just the bare bones bottom of what the Word of God, the meat and potatoes, if you will. So I hope you enjoy it and pass along and share. Now, let's get to the lesson. Hello again, back once more. Continuing in our study through the book of Matthew, I certainly hope you are enjoying this. I hope I'm not boring you. Um, And this is just um, my thoughts my interpretation of what God is saying. I've said many times, Matthew's my favorite book in Scripture, has been for a long time. And so I just enjoy going through it. Uh, So I hope you are gleaning something from this that will help you in your daily walk. So here we are, chapter 22. Jesus has been sharing some parables, um, the first two of which he's been attacking the spiritual leaders Um, He switches now in chapter 22 from a parable about himself to a parable about the kingdom of heaven. But this still is um, an attack on these leaders because um, now he's pointing out to them that, you know, your your heart's not right. Um, You know, he's been pointing out their flaws thus far um, and he's saying you know look these sinners or these people that you consider sinners are going into heaven and, and you're not um, he has pointed out to them that they have been resisting the truth and now he's getting right down to the to the the heart of the matter you know it's no coincidence that I choose that term because it's the heart that is the problem and that's what he's pointing out. He says your, your problem is not your mind, it's your heart. You're, you're, uh, you don't have a, a heartfelt desire to serve God and yet here you live a life that says that you are on the surface but in your heart your heart's evil. So anyway he begins to talk about what the kingdom of heaven is like, and, and of course, that's what everybody wants to be a part of. Um, you know, when you come to Christ, you you become a part of the kingdom of heaven, and so um, Jesus begins to talk about the kingdom of heaven now. So it's going from a parable about himself and who he is to what it means to be a part of the kingdom of heaven. And Jesus answered spake unto them by parables, <coughs> and said, The kingdom of heaven is likened to a certain king, which made a marriage for his son. Now, right off the bat, we're looking here at um, Christ and his bride, and who is and who isn't going to be you know, part of that. And, but, but what he's referring to here then, he, he, as we go into it, you'll see in a second, 
the marriage supper, the celebration of this marriage, of this relationship. And verse 3 says, He sent forth His servants to call them that were bidden to the wedding, and they would not come. Um, now, I want to point out something about this particular parable, too. Don't try to put this on a timeline, because you understand that in heaven there's no such thing as time. You know, it's not that things happen before or after other things. They just happen. So their sequence is not an issue. And that's where this is coming from. He's saying this is like the kingdom of heaven. So picture this as being in the kingdom of heaven. And so some of the things that may be referred to, you know, we put them on a timeline. And scripture describes them on a timeline. But when he's talking about the kingdom of heaven, there's no such thing. So just kind of pack that away in the back of your mind and, and think about it. Um, and, and sent forth his servants to call them that were bidden to the wedding, and, and they would not come. So we're talking about the wedding. There's the marriage feast, the wedding supper of the Lamb, and so on. Then heaven that occurs during the tribulation. Um, again, he sent forth other servants, saying, Tell them which are bidden, Behold, I have prepared my dinner. Now we're talking about the marriage supper. My oxen and my fatlings are killed and all the things are ready. Um, come unto the marriage. So he's, he's inviting people to come and be a, you know, be a part of the wedding. Be, be a part of the bride. And, you know, you, this is your invitation. Um, this is going to come someday. We look forward to that as Christians when Christ comes back and takes us home partaking in this marriage supper of the Lamb. Now, the remnant took his servants, no, wait a minute, but they made light of it, verse 5. Sorry, I'm just getting ahead. But they made light of it and went their ways, one to his farm, another to his merchandise. So they're ignoring the wonderful joy that comes from being a child of the king, from being a part of the bride, from from being a part of this marriage, you know, what joy there is in life, you know, in this sinful world and all the, the devastating things that we have to face and how we battle with sin day in and day out. It's a very negative existence, and yet there's great joy in it because we're, we're part of the kingdom of heaven. We're children of the king. We're born-again believers in Jesus Christ. Um, and that gives us such great joy that it... You know, it, it gets us through all this. It makes everything in this world seem so small. And so they're rejoicing—they're uh, ignoring this great joy that is being offered, you know, that you have this wonderful invitation that not everybody gets to be a part of the marriage supper of the Lamb, to be a, a part of this marriage. Verse 6, And the remnant took his servants and entreated them spitefully and slew them, just like in the other parables. They're rejecting those who are sharing with them the message of Jesus Christ. But when the king heard thereof, he was wroth, and he sent forth his armies and destroyed those murderers and burned up their city. Now we know that someday Christ is coming back. Of course, he's going to come in the rapture, and then there's going to be this terrible seven years of tribulation, and horrible things are going to happen. There's going to be a lot of destruction, a lot of malady, and so on. But, but and at the end of that, when Christ comes back, um, before the millennial reign, um, he's going to do away with all the enemies, all his enemies, and we're going to enjoy that peace for seven years, uh, for a thousand years, 
And then eventually there's, there's going to be the battle of Gog and Magog at the end of that when everybody's, all his enemies are cast into the lake of fire. So there's this terrible destruction coming for those who refuse to become a part of the kingdom of heaven. And yet he is a patient and loving God and puts this invitation out there and makes it available to all who are willing to receive it. Uh, it just blows my mind that people would reject it and yet the majority of people do. And there's this terrible destruction coming that they just ignore and they think it's some sort of fable or something or a fairy tale and it's not gonna happen. So in verse eight, he says, then saith he to his servants, the wedding is ready, but they which were bidden were not worthy. So he's inviting people and, and you know, they're attempting to come and yet they're not worthy. He says, go ye into the highways and byways and as many as ye shall find bid to the marriage. So this, this invitation is given to all. Um, and, and the message is going out today to all who will receive him are invited to come, receive the salvation that Christ has provided, you know, on the cross. <coughs> so those servants went out into the highways and gathered together all as many as they found, both bad and good. And the wedding was furnished with guests. And when the king came to see the guest, he saw there a man which had not on a wedding garment. Now, let me, let me stop here and point out, number one, that I know that he's talking about salvation. Okay? I get that. person is not clothed in the blood of the Lamb. He's not covered by the blood of the lamb. But I'm going to I want to make a point about this in just a, a minute or two. But before I do that, understand this. People are claiming that there are multiple ways to become a part of the kingdom of heaven. To 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 be a child of God. That other than coming through the blood of the cross, um, they're attempting to enter by false means. You know, God is not fooled. You know, it's not like, you know, a, a porous border like we have in America today where you can slip through by some, you know, ulterior means. There's a, there's a method, there's a the way you're supposed to do it. But people get by all the time. Uh, you know, without doing that. But that's not the way it is. You don't get into heaven by some other method. There's only one. You know, the king. The king is on guard. The king sees all. The king knows you don't get there by some other means. It's only through Jesus Christ and his shed blood. Only through the salvation that he provides um, can you get into heaven. Um... But he notices, but here comes a guy trying to get into heaven, but he's not properly attired. And he saith unto him, Friend, how camest thou in hither not having a wedding garment? And he was speechless. When we stand before God, we'll have no excuses. All the things that seem to make so much sense to us now here on this earth no longer carry any weight. And we know that to the point that we have nothing to say. We have no excuse. We are without excuse. 
we're all going to stand before God someday and we're either going to say, I have no excuse, or we're going to say, I'm here by the blood of the Lamb. Christ stands in my stead. Um, now here's the point I said that I wanted to make. I realize this is, we're talking about salvation here. I get that, okay? So don't misunderstand me. But what I'm pointing, what I want to point out here is, is I think it's very interesting that he chooses this particular analogy. A wedding garment, that you're not dressed properly. Because we have this whole argument today about this casual form of worship. And, and people use this argument that says, well, God looks upon the heart. He doesn't look upon the exterior. He looks upon the interior. That's true when it comes to salvation. That's true when it comes to the verse that they draw that from in Samuel 16, 1 Samuel 16, verse 7. Because in that verse, he's talking about, he's telling Samuel as he goes out to choose the future king, he says, don't look for what you would normally look for. He's not necessarily going to be a rugged, big man of war. He's not going to be what you expect. See, God is looking for one who has the heart of a warrior, the heart of a king. In fact, he describes him in 1 Samuel 17, 10, just, a, just another chapter later, describes David as one who has the heart of a lion. So what he's talking about in that verse is God looks upon the heart when he's choosing people for leadership, when he's choosing people to serve him. He's looking for people who will not waver, who will not, who will not um, compromise, who will stand strong. He's not talking about how they dress. I think it's important that you do dress properly. I think if you're going to represent Christ, that people should see that you respect him to the point that you, you, you want to you be dressed properly when you go to worship him. I mean, you do that in, in all sorts of other things when you're chosen for a particular event or, or, or office or um, status, you know, point of status or something of that nature. You're going to dress you're going to dress up. You're going to wear a suit or a tuxedo or something like that. But you don't want to do that when you go and worship Christ. I want people, when, when I leave my door on Sunday morning, to know where I'm going. If I'm going out there in shorts and flip-floppers, my skinny jeans and my T-shirt, I, you know, I don't want them to think I'm going to the lake to go fishing. I want them to know that I'm going to worship Christ. And so I want to be dressed properly. When they see me leave my house on a Sunday morning in a suit, it's pretty much assumed I'm going to church. So that's, I guess, you know, I'm off on a tangent here. That's a pet peeve of mine. But I don't think it's an accident that he chooses this particular analogy when he's talking about his, his servants. Then verse 13, Then said the king to the servants, Bind them hand and foot, take them away, and cast them into outer darkness. There shall be weeping and gnashing of teeth, for many are called, but few are chosen. You know, I, we need to be really, 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 really careful about casually approaching the throne of God. Um, if, if we feel like what we're doing is good enough for God, then we're dressing him down. 
we're, you know, I think we're lowering his position. Um, and that borders on not having a sincere heart, not having the heart of a lion. You know, if we, if, we, if we can't come out and be separate and not not look like the world, then are we really representing God? Are we really true to who we are? We're children of the King. People need to know we're children of the King. We're part of the kingdom of heaven. We've been invited to the marriage supper of the Lamb. We're, we're peculiar people. I think it's important that the world knows that. Thank you for listening. We'll pick up in uh, verse 15 uh, of chapter 22 next time. Goodbye and God bless.